Hey and welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. You're listening to part two of our Kingdom Culture series. Today, Pastor Harrison is talking about the true heart of God and how God is for all of us. Jesus, I just thank you that you're so good and I just thank you that we're going to worship you here today, God. So I just pray that you speak to us today. Just put a word in our hearts and our spirits, God, and just help us to know you better. And we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for Jesus? Hey, if you're just able to stay standing for a second, I just want to read um, our opening passage of Scripture. And I think that uh, it's going to encourage you. I think this whole message is going to encourage us. Luke chapter 15 is where we are. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. I don't want you to miss that verse. The tax collectors and the sinners, the sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered to themselves, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable and he said, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, doesn't he joyfully put it over his shoulder and go home? And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way. Someone shout, same way. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent how many guys know there's joy in heaven when someone finds Jesus I want to call this message God on the move God on the move come on you guys can take a seat so glad that you could be here today my name is Harrison and uh, I'm the pastor here just honored you guys could join us today honored that I can share um, just a little bit with you guys today Uh, Today's a special day. If you guys do not know, this is our second semi-kinda annual outside of COVID serve day. Today is serve day, and man, we're just super excited for that, super excited uh, just that we get to partner with our community, and by partner, we get to just actually serve them. That's what we're going to do. And so um, I'm today, I'm going to share a message but the real sermon is going to come after church for all of us. They're going to go out and serve uh, our community. And so um, I'm going to have more information at the end. If you have not yet signed up to serve, there's so many amazing service opportunities, service options. Now, uh, last week, how many of you guys were here last week? A few people. I told you guys I was on assignment from the Lord. Um, I'm on assignment this week as well, but it's from Megan. <laughs> And my assignment this week is to finish by 11 o'clock, which gives me 34 minutes. So we'll see where it goes. I'm going to try my very best. So what that means, i got to preach. i got to get into it. You guys ready? Yeah. So I don't got time for passengers today. we got to get into it. So we, uh, we're in a series. This is the second part of a series here at church we're calling Kingdom Culture. And what this series is about is just simply this. This is who we are as a church. This is our DNA as a church. This is our Kingdom Culture here at church. And so... I said this, if you guys were here last week, amazing. If you weren't here last week and Kingdom Church is your home, you have no option but to go back and watch week one 
because you need to know who we are, where we're going, and what we're doing. And if you're just kind of visiting, like wondering, like what is this whole church thing about, you're in the best series ever because you're going to find out the heartbeat of our church here at Kingdom. And uh, last week, we talked all about our first core value, which is generosity. We as a church are going to be, and we are a generous church. That's how we're going out and serving today. Come on, somebody. Now, what I want to do in this series is I kind of want to align us on our vision um, and our values, because at the very end of the day, we at Kingdom Church, we exist here to bring people into relationship with Jesus. That's why we're here. Nothing more, nothing less. We're trying to bring people into relationship with Jesus. We're trying to get lost people found. That's why we exist. But what I said last week, I'm going to reiterate it again today. How we find and save people that are far from Jesus, it's not better programs, it's not better processes, it's not better people. It is when we are aligned and unified on the mission of Jesus. And so our core thought for this series, we said it like this. We said alignment is more important than assignment. In other words, it doesn't matter so much what we're doing, but are we aligned as we do it? And so that is why I said, if this is your church, you got to get aligned. If this is not your church, I don't know what you're waiting for. But thank you for being here anyways. Um, My name's Harrison. So that's what we're going to do today is continue in our values. So last week we looked at generosity. Today we looked, uh, we're going to look at value number two as a church, um, which is accessibility. Our first culture is generosity. Our second cultural value is accessibility. We as a church, we want to be accessible. Now, I'm going to say it because I said it last week. I'll probably say it every week. Um, We have a thing called Growth Track where we teach these values. And so if you have not gone through Growth Track, go through Growth Track. You will learn these values. If you've gone through Growth Track, you don't remember these values, do Growth Track again. Just get it into your spirit um, because it's the heartbeat of our church. Now, um, when it comes to accessibility, what does that mean? What is is accessibility? Why is it a cultural value for us? Pretty simple. We want to be a church that is accessible to people that want to experience Jesus. More so, we want to be a church that is accessible for people that aren't even sure about Jesus. But like, I don't know what I think. I'm not really sure where I stand. But I want you to know, if you come to Kingdom Church, we exist to make it feel like it is actually not hard to come into a relationship with Jesus. We just kind of simply believe that like to, to, to come to Jesus shouldn't be a, a, treasure, a treasure map kind of thing. Like national treasure, Nick Cage. Like it shouldn't be like that. You don't have to search high and low. It's, it's pretty simple. Jesus is what you're looking for. And so a lot of times, church people, Christians, we need to kind of own this. Sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we are the biggest barriers. Sometimes we're actually the roadmap that confuses people. But what we exist here at Kingdom Church is we want it to be accessible because we think that the message of Jesus is life-changing. We think that he is what you're looking for. You came here today like, am I looking for something? Yes, you are. It's Jesus. And so we want to get out of the way so you can experience who he is. And so that's what I'm going to preach on today, accessibility. And uh, I'm going to preach it and kind of teach it. We're going to go through Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to show you the three sub-points we have in our culture guide for what it means to be accessible. Um, But again, I'm really going to preach because I want us to understand the heart of the Father, the heart of God, and that God is a God that is on the move. So kind of my intro, you guys ready to go? Okay, we're going to get into it. Luke chapter 15. So um, in Luke chapter 15, this is what is known as the parable of the losts. Jesus tells three parables of things that are lost that will eventually get found. Now, um, we're kind of going to look mostly at the first parable. We're going to look kind of at the third parable, but all you need to know is just really one long parable. Things are lost. 
than they are found. Heaven rejoices. So Luke 15 verse 1 is the first thing I want to look at. Uh, again, it says the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, these are the religious folks, and the teachers of the law muttered, <laughs> this man, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what a mutter kind of is to me, right? Now, I just got a question. Have you guys ever wondered what God is like? Anyone ever like, man, just like, what is God like? Like, if, 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 if God is real, if there is a God, and, and by definition, God is all-knowing, omniscient, uh, omnipotent, all these humongous omni-words that I'm probably not even pronouncing correctly. Like, if God is real, what is he like? You guys ever been there? Maybe, maybe like, if God is real, like, what does God think about me? Now, what I want us to understand is that the Bible lets us know exactly what God is like. Most specifically, we know what God is like through Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 says it like this. It says, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So what this is saying is God who is invisible has been made visible through Jesus. So if you have ever asked yourself, what is the God of the universe like? The answer is found in Jesus. This is what he is like. You see, a lot of people have this idea that like God and Jesus, like maybe God the Father, holy, they're, they're different. Like God the Father is kind of angry, he's kind of scary, and then the Son is more chill, he's got dreadlocks and smokes weed. God the Father is the same as the Son. They are one and the same. Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. That's what this is saying. If you have ever struggled with understanding an incomprehensible God, the incomprehensible God became accessible and comprehensible through Jesus. John chapter 1 in fancy language says the word became flesh. In other words, in the Old Testament, a lot of times like, there's like, kind of a veiled picture of God, like God is there, but he's speaking through people, speaking through prophets, and through, through mighty acts, sometimes confusing acts. But through Jesus, the word, the logic, the incomprehensible has become flesh. And so what that means is you and I can actually get a glimpse of what, what God is like through Jesus, because the Son and the Father are one and the same. Does that make sense? And so we go back now to Luke 15, verse 1, and we're about to get a picture of what God is like. It says the tax collectors and the sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. Now, I want to break this down because you guys are like, what is the tax collector? Like, what's the importance of that? Now, specifically in the New Testament, whenever it talks about a tax collector, what you need to understand is that a tax collector was a Jew who worked for the Roman Empire collecting taxes from his fellow Jews. Now, in the best of times, no one likes paying taxes. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Young people, you're going to find out one day. All that money you make, say goodbye to half of it. And so in the Bible, when it talks about tax collectors, they were Jews who were collecting taxes from their fellow Jews. But what they would do, and part of the reason they were incentivized to become tax collectors, is because they would kind of take a little bit more than was even required, and they'd pocket it for themselves. And so really, tax collectors kind of became known as crooks. And they were the worst kind of crooks because they were stealing from their own people. Now, you need to understand kind of the nuance of the New Testament. Uh, 
the, the cultures and the different um, ethnic groups. Now, at best, in the New Testament, there's a ton of prejudice. At worst, you could probably call it racism. Like, the Jews and the Romans didn't get along. The Jews and the Gentiles didn't get along. The Samaritans and the Jews, so on and so forth. It was very kind of like, you stick with your ethnic tribe. And so, what happened and what made a tax collector so despised is that in a time and in a space where everyone really stuck with their ethnic people, these tax collectors were, in a sense, betraying the very people they were a part of. And so in a time where you rolled with your people and you were stealing from your people, you really had no one. You were an outcast. You were looked down upon. You were, least, you were less than, and, and you were kind of those people no one really cared about. No one wanted to care about what no one wanted to think about. They were, they were the outcasts. That's a tax collector. Does that make sense? And so the Bible says that the tax collector gathered around to hear Jesus. The Greek word there is continually. They continually were drawn to Jesus. There was just something about him that when everyone despises us, Jesus doesn't. And so they were drawn to him. Anyone in this room, you ever feel like you don't fit in? You ever feel like, man, just no one gets me? Maybe even no one likes me. I'm just, I don't, I don't fit in. Guess what? Luke 15 verse 1 lets you know that you have a seat at the table with Jesus. That's what it's saying. You have a seat at the table with Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners. Now, your mind probably goes somewhere with that word. The sinners were gathered around Jesus. And now maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, Harrison, aren't we all sinners? Saved by grace, absolutely, hello. All of us um, are sinners. But this word that Luke uses here is not talking about like the, the kind of hidden things like the pride and the lust and whatever else you struggle with. This word here is letting us know that these are the outward sinners. These are the people that like everyone knows what they are doing. These are the sexually immoral. These are the adulterers. These are the, the prostitutes. These are the drunkards. These are the ones that every person in society knew what they were doing. And it was wrong. The Bible literally, the word that sinner is literally this idea that they're going against God's design. They're literally working in opposition to what God would want them to do. They're going against God's ways. Does that make sense? Yet these people going against the way of God are still drawn to the feet of Jesus. What a picture. The sinner, the less than, the tax collector, they're gathered around Jesus. Next, we have the Pharisee. These are the religious folks. And when we read this, and especially if you've been in church long enough, these are the people that you kind of like start to despise a little bit, right? Because it's the Pharisees, the religious ones, the teachers of the law, saying, ha, 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 this man welcomes sinners. And each of the, these are the offended ones. We don't like these people. But the truth is this, especially for my church people here today, the longer you are in church, the seat in which you sit at the table of Jesus is constantly shifting. And I can almost guarantee if you come in as a sinner, the longer you're with Jesus, one day and one time, one place, you'll shift over to that Pharisee seat. You'll be the religious person. And so we don't like these people, but what you need to understand is that even these people have a seat at the table with Jesus. The religious, the irreligious, the outcast, the looked down upon, the not good enough, all are at the feet and in the presence of Jesus. 
Why? Because Jesus is accessible. That's just who he is. There was something about him where people could not help but be drawn to him. Now, I want us to understand something because my hope is to, again, understand who we are as a church. We want to be accessible because Jesus is. But I also want to get you into the presence of Jesus. That's my, kind of my job. Now, all of these people are in the presence of Jesus, but what you need to understand is there's an order to it. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, he said it like this. He said the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious folks, they formed the outside ring of Christ's hearers. But the inner circle consisted of the guilty, the heavy laden, and the lowly. You see, all are at the table with Jesus. But the truth is this. The ones that are closest to Christ are always the ones that are heavy laden. They're always the ones that carry burdens. In other words, they are the ones and the people that understand their true condition. Those are the ones that sit closest to Jesus. You see, for a lot of us, when it comes to our picture of what church is, especially for people outside of the church, their idea is like, man, church is a place for uptight religious people, people that have it all together. People that dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, are a certain way. But what I love about Luke chapter 15 is that the people that are closest to Jesus are not the ones that think they have it all together, but they are the ones that acknowledge their brokenness. And so I want you to understand, if you've been struggling to come into the presence of Jesus, stop trying to act like you have it all together and stop trying to act like you are perfect and you have all the answers. Instead, realize that it is the broken and the heavy laden that make their way into the inner presence of Jesus. And so when we talk about the culture of our church, we want to be like Jesus. And so we want to be a place where every single person, regardless of their background, their experience, where they came from, if they were wild in last night, you have a home here at Kingdom Church. And so we say it like this. Here's our first value under accessibility. We say we want this place to be a first-class experience. Why? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. I remember like when, when we came up with this language four years ago, uh, I, I love this picture of first class because it brought me to a plane. And if you guys have ever been lucky enough to sit in first class, some of us, most of us have at least walked past first class. <laughs> and what you will know about first class is they have a better experience than those <laughs> sitting in coach. Like you see it and like they got water bottles and cookies and face towels. I'm like face towels like... What have you gone through in the last? <laughs> but like generally, obviously, you pay money to sit in first class. But the thing is this about the stewardess. The stewardess has no idea how you got into first class. They don't care if you have a suit or sweatpants. They're going to serve you and treat you as such. And so when I thought about the culture and the DNA of our church all of those years ago, I thought to myself, how sad would it be that people in a plane get better service than people in a church? where we are coming under the name of Jesus, where we have a hope, and, and a hope in a name above all names. And how could we ever not treat people anything less than first class? So that's the culture, that's the DNA of our church. When you come to this place, you're royalty. Welcome to first class. Why? Because you matter to Jesus. Come on. That's who we are. The moment you step into this place, you matter. Why? Because God thinks you matter. And if God thinks you matter, I think you matter. But I want us to understand this. Until you realize, get this, get this, until you realize how valuable you are, you'll never be able to treat people with the value they deserve. 
I'm going to say it again. Until you realize how valuable you are, you'll never actually be able to value other people. Like, Harrison, how do I know how valuable I am? Because I don't always feel worthy. I don't always feel worth it. I'm so thankful for the Bible because it lets me know. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God, someone say, but God, demonstrated his own love for us. Let's scratch that out. God demonstrated his own love for me. Someone shout me. Me. For me in this while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. You want to know how Jesus feels about you? You want to know how God feels about you? He died for you. Listen, you don't die for things that aren't worth it. You don't die for things that aren't valuable. You don't give it all for someone that is worthless. Guess what? You are worthy. You are worth it because the king of the universe came down in the flesh and he said, I love these people so much. God loved the world so much that he gave himself for you. And so if people matter to God, they matter to us. If people matter, that means I matter. And that means you matter. And so this church, kingdom church, you walked into this place, guess what, man? You're royalty. Welcome to first class. You never sat in the plane. It's okay. You've been to kingdom church. You matter here. You matter. There's a seat at the table with Jesus, with your name on it. Because Jesus welcomes the lowly. He welcomes the not good enough. He welcomes those who would rather not even be at his table. It's set for you. Now, maybe some Christian folks here today saying to yourself, well, Harrison, that's a great message. And like, I know people should know, but I, I, I think that people know this. Like, everyone knows this. Everyone knows Jesus is for them. Everyone knows he welcomes tax collectors. And, like, people know this. I came here to tell you pretty simply today no, they don't. No, they don't. You're sitting here today saying, people know who Jesus is. No, they don't. Because if they did, they'd already be sitting at his table. I just believe it so deeply in my spirit that the moment that people know that Jesus is for them, that there is actually a seat at his table with your name on it, everything changes. Everything changes. But for a lot of people, the rhetoric is not that God is for me. It's actually like if there is a God, he's against me. It's funny, like I saw this thing on Facebook from, from someone on our team. Um, and it was so funny because it's a rhetoric that people have said to me, but I just saw it again on Facebook. Someone on our team, um, they shared uh, a sermon from uh, the, a couple weeks ago online. You guys can do that. Do you know that? Crazy. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, that was so good. I wish my friend heard it. Boom, Facebook. You can, you can share any message. Um, in fact, like, because you guys probably want to invite like one person to church, two people to church. Like some of you guys are so popular, you can invite a thousand people at once just by sharing a link. You're like, oh, I thought those friends were from my ego. No. So someone shared something um, and this person watched it and they were just like, man, that was so good. And so the person from our team, woman of God, she said, hey, you should come to church. It'd be amazing. And then the person responded, she'd say, I don't know if you want me to do that. Because if I came there, I'd probably light up. I'd probably just start to burn. <laughs> and I laughed because, like, I've had people say that to me, too. 
You guys experienced that? It's like, Harrison, you don't want me in your church. Like, I would light on fire the moment I walked in. But I want us to kind of deconstruct that. Because what is the rhetoric when someone says that? What are they really thinking? What are they really believing? It's pretty simple. If there is a God, he's against me. If there is a God, he wants to light me up like a Christmas tree. And so we say to ourselves, people know. But I'm here to tell you they don't know. And if you came here today and you ever thought that God was against you, I'm here to transform your life. God is not against you. God is for you. And God has been longing for you to come to a place where you could just hear this message of goodness, of grace, that he loves you, that he died for you, that there is a seat at his table. People were drawn to Jesus because when you realize that someone is for you and someone loves you, like, I just want more of that. I just want more of that. And so I want to say to us today as a church, man, we exist to, to put on a first-class experience because people matter to God. People matter to God. And so let's keep reading. Um, the Pharisees, again, they say, hey, Jesus, you're eating with the sinners and the tax collectors and their noses are all high in the sky. So Jesus spoke to them in a parable, just a story on hand. Suppose, he says, one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home, goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. This parable is so beautiful. Jesus is with a group with 99 sheep, and he sees one that is lost. And so he leaves the whole group to go and find the lost sheep. He's trying to paint a picture of who God is. He's a God that says, I'm going to leave the 99 for the one. He's a God on the move. That's the kind of God that we serve. He is not sitting passively and saying, oh, I'm just so happy those people are going to hell in a handbasket. I'm so happy they're ruining their life. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a God on the move who wants to bring lost people into the fold, who wants to take people from death to life. That's just what he does. And so here's the second thing about our culture. We say it like this at Kingdom Church. It's not about us. The church exists for the one that is far from God. Why are we here? Why are we here? We exist for the one that is far from God. We're for the one. That's the heart of this house. We're for the one. We're for the one. You see, when we come together, and I just believe the Bible is life-changing, and I think there's power when we open it, and it's amazing to come here and read it together. I think that it's amazing that we can come here and actually worship Jesus. If you did not know this, there's only one thing you can give God, and it's praise. And so it's kind of cool that we can actually come here and give him something. So when I open my mouth and I raise my hands, I'm giving God something. And all that stuff is really cool. But none of it sets off a party in heaven. There's one thing and one thing only that brings out the cake and the sprinklers and whatever else they use up in heaven, the shooty things, sparklers, and the, what's the things we blast here on our anniversaries, confetti blasters, I mean, it's heaven, I'm, I'm really shooting low here, that's all they got up there, there's one thing 
that sets off a party in heaven, and it's when lost people come home. That's it. That's it. And so we can say, oh my gosh, the Lord is so happy that I came here with my notebook and ready to worship and dress really nice. But that will not set off a party in heaven. What sets off a party in heaven is when someone comes here who was lost and founds hope and finds life in Jesus. And so I'm going to say it like this. You don't got to raise your hand, but if you, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus here today, you can just give me one of these. Where are my Christians at today? A few people, a few people. This church is not for you. This church does not exist for you. Listen, I absolutely love this church, but it's not for me. It doesn't exist for me. It exists for the one who is far from Jesus. So I, I, I felt like, because last week we had a time of repentance, and I think it's like transformational because I think that repentance always leads to God doing something. So we're going to repent today again. So anyone that's come into this place, and you've ever thought to yourself, man, like, I really wish today they would have blank. You can fill it in. I wish they would have sang more songs. Wish we would have gone spontaneous today. Wish we would have studied Revelation today. Wish we would have talked about eschatology and gone deeper today. I wish the coffee tasted better today. Fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blanks. I know you guys have been here. Anytime you wish they did something to cater to you, let's just repent. And say, man, this church doesn't exist for me. This church exists for the one who is far from Jesus. It's as simple as that. I have preferences, but I lay them down for what I think is going to be the best way to reach lost people. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying we always do it right, but that's the core of who we are. We are for lost people. And so if you're like, Harrison, I want to worship for 45 hours straight, um, not the place. This is not the place. And there's other places and times and seasons where we as Christians come together and can celebrate the fact that we're Christians. That's not here. Because we exist for lost people to find hope and to find healing. And we follow Jesus. You're like, Harrison, how do I do that? Follow Jesus. John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what does that mean for me? It means I lay down my preferences for the heart of this house. I lay down what I want to do in order to reach more people. Jesus, who is God, says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why everything we do here is intentional. We speak in a way that is intentional. I try to speak in a way that makes sense. Because understand this, Jesus is never talking spiritual. He's talking practical. When he says, I lay down my life for my sheep, he's not being really spiritual. He's talking to a bunch of people that knew a whole lot about sheep. And so he's trying to give them a vivid picture of what he would do. And so that's the culture of who we are. We want people to understand. It's not cool to confuse people. Because we're following after Jesus, and his mission is really simple. Luke chapter 19, he says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why we're here. We are here to seek and to save the lost. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to put lost people first. Because you're like, Harrison, like, if church isn't for me, why am I here? You're here to get on mission. That's it. Why am I here? Get on mission. Get to work. You guys remember that sermon I preached a little while ago? It's called Let's Get to Work. 
Why am I here? Get on mission. Love lost people. Love people that are far from Jesus. Now you're like, Harrison, Harrison, hold on. It's 2022. I don't like this term lost people. Kind of seems a little bit offensive. Like you're telling me that everyone who is not with Jesus is lost? Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I'm just echoing Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In other words, no one can find what they're looking for outside of Jesus. That person in your life that you think has it all together, like, no, Harrison, they have it all together. They, they, they do. I'm telling you this, and I believe with a holy confidence, until they find Jesus, they do not have what they're looking for. So in your life, you're like, man, Harrison, who in my life is lost? Do they have Jesus? If the answer is no, they are lost. They're lost. And the heart for Jesus is that they will be found. But for us as believers, us that consider ourselves found, we need to realize that people are lost. You see, in Luke, he doesn't say that Jesus was with tax collectors and the people that everyone thought were sinners. He calls them for who they were, sinners. You see, if you don't believe that God has standards, you'll never believe that, they, that people need a savior. But because God has standards, we all need a savior. And so many of us fall short of God's standards, meaning we need a savior. And so many of us know people that are lost. <laughs> it's a FaceTime call over here. That's all right. If it's my aunt, you just hang that up. Um, that's my, my family on the phone. It was probably a lost person that called them. So we're not going to get mad because we love lost people. <laughs> so I want us to change the rhetoric. Because I know for so many of us, we have people in our life that we consider kind of good people. This person's kind of a good person, such a nice person. They got a great job, got a great house, got a great family. Do they know Jesus? No, they're lost. And when you realize, and that's the whole purpose of this parable that Jesus is saying, and he's trying to speak to the religious people who are saying, get these lost people out of here. He's saying, no, 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 no. When you realize something is lost, our job and our heartbeat is to find them. That's why we exist. Because when you realize something is lost, you get desperate. We were, um, a couple weeks back, we were in Calgary, and we went to the beach with Pastor Ryan, who was here a few weeks ago, and, and Pastor Steph, and even Pastor Jeremy, who's been here a few times. There's a whole bunch of pastors real holy gathering. Um, and we were at uh, the beach and with our whole family. My kids were all there. We have twin girls, two and a half, and our baby Judah. And um, we were kind of getting all ready to go, and uh, not to go, to get set up, I should say. And as we were setting up, doing our thing, like Christy had Judah. Kensley was playing in, in the sand. And then kind of Christy looked around, and she's like, hey, where's Abby? And um, we kind of like just, and she said it in like her voice, right? Like, you know that voice? Yeah. She's like, where's Abby? And then, like, I kind of did a quick 360, and, like, I couldn't see her. Um, and then I'm like, where's, like, where's Abigail? And um, I'm, I'm here to say, thankfully, like, um, she was away in the distance. Like, she had gone to the park like a wild child. And so it, it wasn't long. And I, I praise the Lord. I don't have a better, better illustration. I praise the Lord. It wasn't like she was gone for four days. It was, like, 40 seconds. But in those 40 seconds, there was a desperation that built up inside of us because something that was valuable of utmost value was lost. 
What matters more to God than anything? People. And so what does God feel when there's lost people? It's desperation. It's desperation. And so I was just thinking this week, what does God think of us Christians when we come to church and start complaining about our personal preferences when one of his children is lost? When someone that God's put in our sphere of influence is, is drowned in? You see, when we realize that things are lost, it puts a new desperation in us. It puts a new pep in our step. This idea that people don't want Jesus is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. You're like, Harrison, they've given up. They don't care. No, no, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Every person and everyone is looking for Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have what they're looking for. And so our job is to realize, man, if everyone is created in his image, it's one size fits all. He's the answer. He's the solution. He's what we're looking for. Claire, can you come uh, give me some keys here? We're going to close here because it's 11 o'clock and I'm on assignment. Um, so we're four lost people. The church exists for the one who is not yet here. That's why we're here. And I kind of want to finish because I told you Jesus tells three parables. And in the last parable, it's the parable of the prodigal son. And maybe you've heard of it before, but I'll kind of explain it really briefly. Um, in short, there's a, there's a son who essentially says to his father, hey, like, I want nothing to do with you. Give me the inheritance. Let me go. Let me go do my own thing. And so the son runs away. and He does his own thing. He goes and parties with the pigs and blows all of his money, all of his inheritance. And he has this moment of desperation where the son has lost everything. And he just thinks to himself, man, like, I just wish I could go home. I just wish I could go home. But, like, I've offended my father so much, there's no way he'd take me back. There's no way he could love me, no way he could care about me. And so he comes with a plan. And he's like, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back, I'll go home, but, like, I'll just be a servant. I'll be a slave. That's it. I'm fine with that. And in this parable, you need to understand that we are the son and God is the father. And so it says in Luke 15, it says, so he got up, had his plan, and he went off to his father, hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. But it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father was filled with compassion for him. The father sees his son, and so he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and he welcomed him home. That's the God that we serve. It's a God that is on the move. And so if you've ever thought to yourself, what does God think about me? What would happen if I ever decided to come home? I'll tell you what'll happen. The father will forget about his dignity. He doesn't care what he looks like. He's gonna come running back to you because that which was lost is now found. The God that I serve is on the move and he's running towards you. And every single person that needs hope, that needs healing, God is running towards them. And sometimes he calls us to be that in-between, to point people back on the path to the Father. And so the last thing we say is this. This is our last value. We say, this church, this place is for everyone. Because people need to belong before they can believe. Listen, I don't care what you believe when you come into this place. I don't care if you're an atheist, a Satanist, an agnostic. You belong here. You belong here. I don't care what you believe. You belong here and the Father loves you. This is for everyone. And so here's the beauty. The beauty of it all. God on the move. God running towards us. Today, 
as a church, if you guys remember, it's serve day. And so we get to live out in the same way that God lives out, where we don't have to actually wait for people to come to us. We get to run towards them. Maybe even saying to yourself, like, God, just give me some divine opportunities. Give me a place to just share your love and your goodness. Guess what? Prayer's been answered. It's serve day. And so I'm going to make this appeal. Number one, thank you to every person that signed up. You're amazing. Every person that is not signed up, you're still amazing. But guess what? Sign up. Sign up. Because I believe that there is a divine opportunity for us to be the hands and the feet and the picture of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the picture of the invisible God. He's he's God made clear. But we, in this context, have never seen Jesus. But we actually get to be a picture of Jesus for people. And that's what we get to do today. So my appeal is really simple. We can all stand right now as we close. And I'm 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 making an appeal for Jesus in a second, but I'm gonna make a serve daily appeal first. Serve, it's it's that simple. I just believe there is an opportunity, there's a person that is waiting for you. And so um, Chase will give us more details, but Megan's gonna be out there for signups in a second. But I also want to make an appeal today for any person you came into this place and you did not know what Jesus thought about you. You had no clue that he was for you. You had no clue that he loves you that he wants was best for you. If you're saying today, I wanna just give my life to Jesus, I wanna make him the author of my life, I want to make him Lord of my life, Um, I wanna give you the opportunity. So every head bowed, every eye closed, I would just love um, for us to respond today. Um, It's not to embarrass you, not to call you out, just to give you an opportunity. So you're here today, there's something stirring inside of you, like Harrison, that picture of God, that picture of Jesus was just so good, I wanna follow him. That's just the first step, it's super simple. If you want to follow him, every head bowed, every eye closed, just show me your hand right now. He's like, I want to follow Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I just want, I want, I want to follow Jesus. I'd love to pray for us right now. God, you see every single hand and you see every single heart, Jesus. And I just pray right now for the, that stirring that someone is feeling. God, that they can respond to you, to your goodness to your grace, and I just thank you that you're running after us, God. We love you, and Jesus, we just are so thankful for what you're doing. And God, for every person making a decision, just bless them and be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We hope it blessed you and that you're encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and we would love to connect with you. Be blessed as you continue your week.